But notice Psalm 23. It begins and it ends, not with us, but with the Lord. The very first line, the Lord is my shepherd, in verse 1, and then it ends in verse 6 with the house of the Lord. And please notice something else about this psalm. It's not only centered on what our Lord does for us, but it becomes increasingly personal. It moves from the a third person, he, in the first three and a half verses, he makes me lie down, he leads me, he refreshes, he guides. And then it moves to the second person, you, in the last two and a half verses, you are with me, your rod and staff, you prepare a table, you anoint my head. Dear brothers and sisters, the Bible is full of things for us to do. And I always want to faithfully call you and myself to those responsibilities. But we can never, ever, ever replace the relationship with the responsibilities. To do so is sub-Christian and it's sub-gospel. The call of the gospel is always and ever preceded by the comfort of the gospel. And the comfort of the gospel is found first in what our Lord has done for us, not in what we do for Him. And today we're going to be reminded of that from the precious words of Psalm number 23. So let's bow together and ask the Lord to help us to re as we remember that. Father, we're thankful to You that we're here. Thank You for giving us the health, the freedom. Thank You for implanting in us the desire to gather on the Lord's day, in your presence especially, with your people. Thank you for the privilege that we've had already in this time to worship you in the ways that we have, through reading your word publicly, giving back to you, singing praise to you. But now, Lord, we open your word and we thank you for this portion of your word that you have used in the hearts and lives of so many. We ask you, Lord, to do that today. Grant us a better understanding of what you have written in Psalm 23. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So each week when you come in, you receive an outline for the message. And I say, first of all, in the outline, my Lord is my provider in everything. The first line says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now I've called your attention to this in other psalms that we've studied in recent weeks, but it's important to see it again here. Notice in that first line that the word Lord in verse 1, but also in verse 6, is in all capital letters. And our English translation does that for us to signify that it's a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the personal name for God in the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, as opposed to titles for God, such as the Hebrew word Adonai. The name Yahweh is, as I told our class this past Wednesday in Master Plan for Life, it's related to the Hebrew verb of being, and it goes back to God having spoken to Moses to tell him to go to Egypt and demand that the king, the Pharaoh, let my people go. You may remember that Moses was hesitant because he was afraid, and so he he made excuses for why he could not do what God commanded. 
And as part of that, he asked, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers, we have that, that verse, thank you. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now, importantly, in the second part of your Bible, the New Testament, when God came to earth as man, God the Son, Jesus Christ, recalled this passage and He applied it to Himself as God. Jesus said to His religious opponents, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, and notice how He words it, I am. Now, Abraham lived 500 years before Moses. And Moses lived 1,500 years before Jesus came to earth. But here is Jesus saying that I am before either of them. And using the language that God used of Himself way back in Exodus chapter 3. The Jewish religious leaders could not interpret Jesus' claim as other than blasphemy for claiming to be God for which stoning was the proper penalty according to their law. And so the next verse says, at this they picked up stones to stone him. In God's encounter with Moses saying, I am, as in I always have been and I always will be, this is my name, he also said this, God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so Yahweh, the name of God that means I am the one who always has been and always will be, is the personal name that He gave to His people to call Him, and that's the name used in Psalm 23. It's been helpfully pointed out by commentators that the use of the personal name of God here expresses a few important things. It signifies the intimacy of the relationship that God has with His people. It's His name Yahweh versus the more impersonal, the Lord. It's more of, the Lord is more of a title than a name. It would be like saying, the wife, rather than for me, my wife's name, Kim. Or saying, the child, like was said of the adopted Anne with an E and Anne of Green Gables, some of you know. The name used here also indicates David's, who, who wrote this psalm, his tenacity. He's saying, my shepherd is Yahweh and no one else, none of the rivals. Ancient Near Eastern deities were prayed to and they were revered under shepherding imagery. Saying, for example, in one case, Marduk has provided me with pasture. David's aware of that, and he makes clear there's no plurality of God's small, small g, but only one who is his shepherd, and he is Yahweh. And the use of the name, which means I always have been and always will be, points to our Lord's sufficiency. For us, it means, in my Lord, I have all I need. In the words of the title of today's message, that you see at the top of the outline. 
It's important because it signifies that our Lord is fully sufficient to supply all that we need, and that's why verse 1 says, I lack nothing. He has infinite resources. Infinite resources. He needs nothing Himself because He is God, and our relationship with our Lord means we lack nothing needful. This all-sufficient, self-existing God has invited His people to call Him by name, not just by title. And that's why I said in the outline, my Lord is my provider in everything, not just the Lord. Now, I should have continued that in the rest of the outline, so feel free to cross out the the at the beginning of the other main points and replace it with my. And he's condescended, according to verse 1, to be our shepherd. And I say condescended, that is, he stooped down. Because although shepherds are life for the sheep, they were not revered by other humans. In Israel, as in other ancient societies, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all works. If a family needed a shepherd, it was always the youngest son, like David, who wrote the psalm, who got that unpleasant assignment. But Jesus gladly took the title himself, saying in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus applies that to our relationship with him. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not think they need to repent. Friends, that is the love that our Savior has for us. That's the love that our shepherd has for us. This shepherd is our Lord, and our Lord provides everything we need. And I say in your outline, He is our guide through life. And our Lord guides us through life by giving us several things. The first, I say, is rest. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. A hot, dry summer in Israel could test a shepherd's mettle because finding pasture and water at that time was no small task. Or winter could be a challenge. A missionary in the 1800s says that when snow covered the ground during a Lebanon winter, the shepherds could be all day up in the trees cutting down branches so that the sheep could feed on the green leaves and tender twigs. How he supplies the day-to-day -day needs of the sheep says a lot, and they don't lie down easily. Philip Keller was a pastor and an author who for eight years was himself a shepherd. And out of that experience, he wrote a book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It throws light on this and other statements about shepherding in this psalm and, and others. Sheep do not lie down easily, Keller says. In fact, quote, 
it is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because of the social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from fiction, or friction and others of their kind. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they re relax. And lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. And so free from fear and friction and flies and, and famine. Sheep must be free from each of these to be contented. And as Keller notes, only the shepherd can provide the trust, the peace, the deliverance, and the pasture that's needed to free the sheep from all of those. One commentator points out that we might expect when talking about sheep and the Lord shepherding, we might expect to focus on the motion and the action of the sheep, but really their rest provided by the shepherd. And that's why, friends, we begin with what our Lord has done for us. This is not focused on what we do. It's not focused on our activity. It's, again, focused on what He does for us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Our Lord gives us rest. And, I say in your outline, He sustains health. He refreshes my soul, verse 3. Philip Keller explains this by the situation known to shepherds as cast sheep or cast down sheep. What happens is this, he says, a heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or to relax. And suddenly, the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently, this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. Now, it's quite impossible now for the sheep to regain its feet. In this position, gases build up in the body, cutting off circulation to the legs, and often it's only a matter of a few hours before the sheep dies. And the only one who can restore the sheep to health is the shepherd. One preacher said, sometimes we are like cast sheep or cast down sheep. We are spiritually on our backs, quite helpless. But Jesus comes to us when we are in this condition, as He did to Peter after Peter had denied Him with oaths and cursing, and He restores us. Jesus restored Peter, and He gets us up on our feet and going again. Our Lord gives us rest. He sustains our, our life, and He supplies direction. He supplies direction. Verse 4 says, He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. He guides me along the right paths. Why is that important for sheep? Here's why. Sheep wander. 
The Bible says we all like sheep have done what? Gone astray. You know why you as a wandering sheep like me, who can say with the hymn writer that we are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You know why people like us who are like that are going to make it? I mean, if you think about it, there's no chance we're going to make it. We wander, we're prone to wander, but you know why it is that we're going to make it? It's because our shepherd will lead us home. And he has the greatest stake in making sure that that actually occurs, that we actually get from here to there. Because verse 4 says, he guides us along the right paths, but notice the reason, for his name's sake. He has a stake in this for His namesake, that is, for His reputation's sake. His, God's reputation is on the line. So people who follow Him, who name His name, who name the name of Jesus, make it from where we are now, despite the fact that in our nature we wander, we make it to our final destination because it is a reflection on the shepherd as to whether we do or not. He's the one who guides us. And that is why the Bible says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. With regard to Job, you remember the story of Job. And there was the contest between God and Satan that Job knew nothing about. We get to read about it in the book of Job, but Job simply experienced it. The book of Job begins with this contest between God and, and Satan. Satan comes to present himself before God. As I've told you many times, Satan is not outside God's control. Satan can only do what God gives him permission to do. And so he comes and has to present himself before the true and, and living God. And as he does, Satan makes the claim that, listen, people only serve you because of the stuff you give them. And God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? God's the one who brought Job up. God had enough confidence in the work, now hear this, in the work that God had done in Job that he knew how Job would ultimately respond. Difficult to the extreme, though it was. God knows His work in His children, and He knows where that work is designed to go, as He did with Job. So, when you have trials that come into your life, God has allowed, God is overseeing that in your life, and further, God knows precisely what you're able to do, and He has built you for this. Sometimes we look at the travails that we go through and we say to ourselves, why is God doing this to me? When in fact, as in the life of Job, it is very often because God has full confidence in the work that He's already done in us. That we will be able to go through this next thing and come out better as Job did. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, Verse 6, famously the Bible says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, 
mighty God. Some of you remember that. We do that at Christmas very often. But then it goes on to say, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He's going to be a, come as a child and as a son that will be born, but this one that we now know as Jesus, but Isaiah's prophesying 700 years before, he's the one on whom the government of God is going to rest. The kingdom is going to come through him as the king. But then here's what it says in the last line, verse 7. The zeal of the Lord God will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord God will accomplish this. God is the one who's doing this. The reason it will come about exactly as I have said it will come about, says the Lord, is because His reputation is on the line and He is actively at work in His world to make sure that it does. You see, friends, the God, small g, of the spectacular is a God who only shows up every so often, in a pinch, in the nick of time, as it were. And so we say things like, it was a, it was a God thing. Personally, I try to avoid that phrase. I understand why it's said, and if you say it in my presence, I'm not going to correct you. But I try to avoid it because... I want to see everything that is going on in my life and in God's world as a God thing. See, He doesn't just show up every now and then. He doesn't just show up at the last minute. He doesn't just show up in a pinch. He is at work in everything. And if we think this way, if we think of the God who is the exceptional God, the God who just has a God moment every now and then for us. The God that is the spectacular God that only shows up every so often, then I ask you, since life is not lived in the spectacular, <laughs> your life is not lived in the spectacular, my life is not lived in the spectacular, so if that's when God shows up, where is He the other 99% of the time? What's He doing? You see, in this psalm, in Psalm 23, the activities of these sheep are the normal stuff of a shepherd to provide the needs of the sheep. He provides for the flock's ordinary and ongoing needs. And ordinary and ongoing is where we spend most of our time, is it not? And so Old Testament scholar Dale Ralph Davis said this, the Christian life is not lived with soap opera tension, but in the ordinary and the routine. And we simply get tired. We not, may not get run over, but we get run down. We suffer from wear and tear, from spiritual exhaustion. We may not get zapped, but we get sapped. Jesus Christ is the shepherd who is adequate for every day who again and again restores my life. And the Christian must learn to walk with Christ here in the daily routine. And he asks, as I ask myself, and I ask you, have you learned to enjoy Christ's day-to-day -day competence in your life? It's precisely in the commonplace and the familiar scenes of life where we see our Savior's constant provision 
We love Him because He does not just meet us in the critical times, but in the common times. We know He will be at work for us on Tuesday and the day after that, though there may be nothing dramatic about them. And that's why Psalm 68 says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, notice, who daily bears our burdens. Not just every now and then. I have a pastor friend. And we used to have these pastor's meetings, and they were often in the morning. And one of us would open the session in prayer, and the times where he would open the session in prayer, he would invariably say on those, on those morning meetings, he would thank the Lord for a night's rest. And I thought he gets it for sure. And I didn't, I tend to take, take that for granted. I'm not somebody who normally has trouble sleeping. Perhaps he, perhaps he did. But you know, friends, even if we don't have trouble sleeping, the truth is God's the one who gives us that and gives us everything else. And so our Lord gives rest. He sustains life. He, he supplies direction. And He leads to safety. Verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Most of us have known that translation as even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of, of death. And so the idea here is the, the shadowy place. That's why the shadow of death. Or the, here, the darkest valley. Davis says this, the ravines of Israel for, for sheep that were cut by wadis at the bottom could be treacherous to descend and arduous to climb and could harbor wild animals. All in all, it was a sheep's worst nightmare. So this valley signals the life-threatening, fear-generating situations of the Lord's flock. And so I ask you, it says here, I will fear no evil in the midst of all of that. I ask you as I ask myself, why don't I fear? Why do I not need to fear? The reason, actually, is in the next, the next line. For you are with me. Notice now, we've been going through as David the psalmist describes him and what he does in the third person, but now it's the second person. I'm talking to God. You do this. The reason I don't fear, even in the darkest place, is because you are, are with me. That's why I don't fear. Conversely, I ask you, why do I fear? Why do you fear? Because we're failing to acknowledge that you are with me. The moment we forget that our Savior, our Shepherd, is with us, then we fear. And fear in Scripture is to revere, to hold in awe. And we can do that with people. People in our lives. Proverbs 29.25. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare. Proverbs 29.25. That is, to revere other people, to hold them in higher regard 
in at least some situations than you hold God, means you're going to fear them rather than, as Scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Trouble, like being in the darkest place, the shadow of death, trouble tends to focus the mind. Trouble reinforces what was already strong. And you see, that's what's happening here in the progression of the psalm. In acknowledging and thinking about all that the good shepherd does for his sheep in the daily routine of life. Now when, not if, we each are going to find ourselves in deep trouble. When that happens, we are more prepared for it. Because if I see our Lord in the small stuff, we'll be drawn closer to Him in the bigger challenges. And that's what happens here. Verse 4 says, your rod or your club and your staff, they comfort me. Our Lord Shepherd guides and controls the sheep with his staff. That's what the staff is for. But beats the sheep's enemies with his rod or club. Beats away those who would harm them. Charles Spurgeon in his massive Treasury of David quoted a man who described 19th century shepherds that he observed in the part of the world about which this psalm speaks. This man said the shepherds themselves had none of that peaceful and placid aspect which is generally associated with pastoral life and habits. They looked like warriors marching to the battlefield, a long gun slung from their shoulder, a dagger and heavy pistols in the belt, a light battle axe or iron-headed club in the hand. Such were the equipments, and their fierce flashing eyes and scowling countenances showed but too plainly that they were prepared to use their weapons at any moment. And this is how our shepherd is being portrayed for us. He'll use the club on our behalf. Friends, would you agree with me that over the last few years, Christian people have been fearful people? Scared to death about what's coming. Scared to death about what they are going to do to us. Scared to death about who's going to win the next election. Who's who's coming after us? I don't know, but I know who holds the club. You know, we're doing, a, we're doing a series that starts a week from today that not everybody's going to be thrilled with. We will tell the truth in love. We're not looking to be in anybody's face. We're looking to help people by telling them the truth. When we decided to do this, we knew that it may be controversial. This week we have gotten calls. We've appeared on social media a bit this week not a ton so don't get too worried but even so we're going to move ahead we're going to say what God says and we're going to say what God says with the tone of someone who loves the people to whom we're saying it and then I ain't worried about it forgive my grammar 
The Lord will take care of the results. Our shepherd will see us through. My shepherd, your shepherd, will see you through. Our shepherd will see his flock here through. Friends, too often our God is one who is too small. And a God who is too small is not the God of the Bible and is not the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and is not a good look for Christians as we seek to witness to a darkened world. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Who could do that? No one. Why do I need to fear? I don't. And you don't either. Our Lord provides all we need. He guides us through life. And He's our host, I say in your outline, in the world. Verse 5, continuing now in this intimate discussion, these intimate statements directly to the Lord, you now, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And so here the psalmist is describing our Lord's shepherd in the midst of our enemies. That's why I say in the outline he's our host at a banquet table in the world. That's why I worded it that way, in the world. In the midst of people who aren't on the same page with us, the Lord prepares this table right in the midst. And He takes time to prepare the table. So the Lord, again, forgive the grammar, He ain't worried. He's in no hurry. In a leisurely way, He goes about preparing the table in the midst of the threats, in the midst of the world. This table that He prepares in the midst of, the, of a sometimes hostile world, enemies, is leisurely. He prepares it. It's also festive. He anoints my head with fragrant oil. And it's satisfying. My cup runs over. I have all that I need at this banquet table of which He is my host. All of this in the presence of the world, in the presence of my enemies. Danger is near and threatening, and in the face of it, our Lord unhurriedly sustains His servants. Friends, at some point in the future, whether in my lifetime or in the next generation or the one after that, but in church history, and I have to think in the history of the United States at some point, Sin is going to continue on the march until the Lord returns. And there's going to be a time where this lighthouse in this community is the single light in the darkness. There may even be threats. There may be enemies. But in the midst of that, our Lord hosts prepares this table. And our Lord's not worried. 
And so he takes time to prepare and he anoints our head and he, our cup runs over. Let us ever remember that. David is saying, my enemies are forced to witness my enjoyment without being able to disturb it. So our Lord provides all that we need. He guides us through life. He's our host in the world and he is lastly our desire for eternity. Verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Now the Hebrew word that's translated follow is literally pursue. So notice this, surely your goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. Assuredly, goodness and when it says love, it's the Hebrew word hesed, which is the Lord's loyal love, His faithful love to His people. Assuredly, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Yet what about all that trouble described earlier? that we sheep get into and are vulnerable to. Well, friends, we know, because God has taught us, that those things, those troubles, those circumstances are God's tools. And we believe, that is the word for faith in your Bible that I remind you over and over again, we believe we have faith that He's using even those things. Believers who are experiencing difficulty do so combining facts with faith. There's the facts of what's going on, but then there's the faith, what I believe about my shepherd, about my God, about my host. We believe that God is at work even when we do not see precisely what He's doing at the moment. Surely, goodness and His loyal love, His faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord is the place of God's special presence with those with whom He has established a relationship. God is, as we saw Wednesday in Master Plan for Life, omnipresent, but He's in special relationship to His people. He dwells with them in a special way. The house was the sanctuary, the tabernacle, that will, in the future, be the new Jerusalem. When, as the last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation says in the second to the last chapter, John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. The sheep of the, the good shepherd will dwell with him forever because he pursues us with his goodness and his faithful love. The psalm begins with the Lord. It ends in the house of the Lord. And as one commentator has said, the grassy pastures that are spoken of in this psalm are the normal place. That's normal life. The valley of the shadows is the fearful place. In front of the enemies is the dangerous place, and the house of our Lord is the abiding place. And Christ leads us in and to them all. Only if Yahweh Jesus is your shepherd can you say, I will never lack anything. 
in ordinary times, in fearful times, in dangerous times, or at the last time. Here's your take-home truth. The Lord Jesus is all I need. He's all you need. We're going to thank Him for what He's done for us, not what we do for Him. When we bow, I urge any of you who are not sure you have that relationship with the Good Shepherd to use this sacred moment to place your faith, your belief in who He is and what He has done. And who is He? He is God come as man. Why did He come as man? To do for you and for me what we could not do for ourselves. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross and so realize that you need that payment applied to you. Realize you are a sinner. Recognize Christ died for your sin. Repent. Lord, I'm now going to follow you, the good shepherd, with my life as you direct me. And then receive Jesus Christ. Just pray from your heart to God in your own words, acknowledging that you're a sinner, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Ask Him to apply His work to you. And then give your life to Him. Let's bow together. Father, we thank You that we have preserved in Your Word this precious song. We thank You for its truth and its comfort. This comfort is due to its focus on You, not us. We're the beneficiaries, to be sure. But You are the giver. You are the shepherd. You are the host. And so, Lord, we, we thank You for the confidence that this generates in us who are otherwise wandering and fearful sheep. And Lord, we live in a, a fearful place in this fallen world. And your people have always been and always will be a minority. But Lord, we are your people. We belong to you. This world is playing out your story. History belongs to you. It is coming to your appointed end at your appointed time. And so, Lord, help me, help us then to be faithful sheep indeed, but to do so by remembering our faithful shepherd in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the fallen world. As a result of that, Lord, in the small stuff every day, seeing that every good gift comes to us from your hand. And then when more difficult trials come, we are all the better prepared. And meanwhile, we show to an onlooking world that what we believe makes a radical difference. We don't freak out. We're not worried about what comes next. We're comforted, not because of our strength, but because of yours and your love applied to your people. We give you the praise for this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together for our closing song.